Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is $1.2 billion ex-UBS advisor on independence and the value of controlling your own ship. It's a conversation with Matt Kilgrow, president and CEO of Cindio Wealth Partners. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. For Apple Podcast users, I'd be grateful if you'd give the show a review. Your input helps us to make the series better and alerts other advisors like you who may find the content to be relevant. And while you're at it, if you know others who are considering change or simply looking to learn more about the industry landscape, please feel free to share this episode or the series widely. Most independent advisors start out by building strong practices at traditional firms. And while plenty of them continue to build mega businesses as employees, for some, there comes a point when the desire to do more for their clients is hindered by the limitations of their firms. It's this combined force of pushes and pulls that often motivates an advisor to explore the potential that independence offers. And one of the primary motivations behind Matt Kilgrove's move. Because after building a $1.2 billion business at UBS, Matt found he was hitting a wall in what he could do for his clients. And the more he learned about the independent space, the more he was drawn to being a business owner and remove the constraints that were limiting him and his team. So in June of 2020, Amidst the pandemic shutdowns, Matt and his team launched Cindio Wealth Management in St. Petersburg, Florida, and they didn't miss a beat, transitioning 98% of their clients in the process. For Matt, this was not the first time he considered independence. Back in 2012, he and his team opted instead to move their business from Merrill to UBS. In this episode, Matt discusses his journey with Lewis Diamond. He talks about the key motivations that inspired building their firm and why he chose not to do so nearly a decade ago, how they're able to expand the services that his team provides to their high net worth clients, how their clients reacted to the news of their transition, what he sees as the potential for inorganic growth, and why, given their size and capacity, they chose to work with Dynasty Financial Partners to build their firm, plus much more. It's a great breakaway story that digs into the why of independence and why now. So let's get to it. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Really excited about this interview. Thanks, Lewis. Really looking forward to it. Appreciate you having me. Perfect. So why don't you tell us about your background? Sure. Born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, went to college here at Eckerd College. Was hired at uh, Merrill Lynch in 1991. Spent 21 great years at Merrill Lynch and then transitioned to UBS in 2012 and uh, was at UBS for eight years. Launched Cindio Wealth Partners with my partners back in June of 2020. So we've been here running Cindio for almost 10 months now. Congratulations. So before we get to the Cindio part of the story, can you walk us through what the team looked like at UBS 
What was the makeup of it? And what was the underlying business? Sure. We were running right at $1.2 billion in assets. Uh, we had 13 people on our team. Myself, one of my partners, Pete Francis, Tommy Kidwell is another partner, Eric Branson, Ryan Quinty, and then our operations person, Dave LaCour. We had two young advisors, Nate Johnson and Adam Hess. I'll talk a little bit more about them later, but they're focused on the, uh, the sports and entertainment industry. And then we had, had five support people, one of which I'm always happy and proud to talk about this, but the assistant uh, that I had when I started in the business in 1991 is still with Paula the She tried to retire several times, but uh, we, keep, we keep pulling her back in. <laughs> That's amazing. And so clearly a large team, not just from an asset standpoint, but a complex team with many stakeholders. And how about the, the typical client of the team and of the business today? You know, the average client is probably about $3 million, but most wealth management groups, we uh, it skews high on the upper end. And then we have, you know, some young clients who, you know, may be building or, or connected to the higher end clients. So average, probably about $3 million. Um, I think we run, we work with about 400 families in total for that $1.2 billion. Excellent. So what drove you to leave UBS in the first place? I recall you guys were growing like crazy and clearly were making a ton of money and could have stayed been extremely successful and done great work for your clients. Well, Lewis, I would kind of use a term that I've heard Mindy and yourself use a number of times that there were pushes and pulls. The pushes to leave UBS and pulls to, to go to the independent space itself. The pushes from UBS, first of all, you know, I would never say anything negative about the wirehouses, either Merrill Lynch or UBS, but the industry and the dynamics there, you know, were really changing. And it got to a point where we just felt like we couldn't grow the way we wanted to. The day-to-day things that were happening in a big corporate environment were, you know, were frustrating to us. I could go into a number of different examples. I think most of your listeners probably are in tune with, you know, with things that happen where you don't have any control. And I think the number of things that were frustrating us on a day-to-day basis were growing all the time. So those were the pushes, but I think the pulls were even more strong for us. We looked at the uh, opportunity and the ability to be a true fiduciary for our clients, to look at their situation financially on a holistic basis and be able to look at everything that they had. And I, I can get into some of the details in a minute, but we were excited about that part. We were excited about being able to, to have a, a variety of services and products that we could use, not just tied to one company like UBS. And I think that one of the things that we recognized was there's this triangulation of services that has always been there, right? You custody your assets someplace, you deliver advice, and then you deliver products and services to your clients. And what we found is that at the wirehouses, that's all in one place. And that doesn't necessarily serve the client the best way necessary or possible. When you're independent, we can custody where we like, in our case, Fidelity and Schwab. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit more. The, the advice has always been coming from us, the financial advisors and the wealth management team. So the advice is coming from Syndio. And then products and where products are manufactured can come from anywhere. And so it really sets us up to be able to do the best job for the client. And that's a big reason of why we we wanted to be independent. Perfect. And two follow-ups on what you said. The first is on that triangulation of advice concepts. What was an example of where the conflict of it all being delivered and under one roof at a wirehouse got in the way of providing the best possible outcome to a client? 
Sure. Well, the first one that comes to mind is just lending, whether it's security-based lines of credit, mortgages for individual clients, or financing for business purpose. You know, UBS had a nice suite of offerings, but as you know, no one company has complete control over the best products. And so in that space, we weren't able to really shop without getting ourselves in trouble with UBS. It would be considered selling away if we went out and found a different lending solution that wasn't on their platform. Today, we can go find the lending solution anywhere in the world and deliver it to our clients. And so that's just one example of what we have seen where we, again, we can be a true advisor and a true fiduciary for our clients. Yeah, that's very powerful. And was there a moment that you can pinpoint that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back? It was obviously you don't leave just because of one thing happens, but there is a moment maybe where everything kind of bubbles up onto the surface and you just say, it's either time to explore or you know what, Pete and team, let's do this. We're going to leave. Can you pinpoint what that moment was for you? There were a couple from the upper echelons of management. We had witnessed a couple of larger producers who were escorted out. That really hit us pretty, pretty hard. Um, I don't want to go into the details of that. It was kind of an eye opener. We saw in the Midwest a very large F-18 where the lead FA was escorted out. And it was for something that I didn't think would really made a whole lot of sense. And so that clicked it to some extent for us. But then there was one other one where we were trying to bring in a new client and it was a pretty significant win. And they had, and I understand this from a compliance standpoint, they have politically exposed persons. You know, they have that they do an investigation on them. And basically we ended up being able to open the account, but it took a month. And so for us to sit there and go back to the client and try to explain why we haven't been able to open the account for an entire month was just really frustrating. And I think that may have been the moment where we guys just all kind of threw up our hands and said, we need another solution here. So those would be the two examples that I would give you. Yeah, it's extremely helpful. And can you talk a little bit about the dynamics of the team with so many advisors, key decision makers? And just people to appease, oftentimes it's quite difficult to get everyone on the same page. So from the jump, were all the key partners aligned with the direction you wanted to go? Or did it take course trading or some late nights to kind of hash out the issues? Yeah. Believe it or not, we were all on board pretty quickly. And I don't know that I had been saying that this was a goal of mine or that I had been telegraphing it to all of the other partners all along. But when the time came and we sat down and started talking to, to, to each other, and, and when I went to each partner individually, there was almost no hesitation. It was like they all saw the same things. They had all been getting calls from recruiters, and they'd been you know, kind of taking them and meeting and kind of pulled everybody in and said, look, let's, we need to do this, but we need to do it you know, from one source. And so... I started doing all the meetings myself and then pulled in the partners as, uh, you know, as we got a little bit down the road. Yeah, believe it or not, you would think it would be like herding cats trying to get everybody on board, but it was uh, pretty unanimous that we needed to move in a different direction for sure. That's helpful. That's, that's not always the case, especially with so many key people that were involved. So that's great and it speaks to the quality of the team. Let's pivot to the Syndio chapter. In June of 2020, Right in the height of the pandemic, you and your partners launched Cindio Wealth Partners out of St. Pete. 
what was it like transitioning during the pandemic? And did the decision to leave, was it ever questioned? Um, or were you more worried or more anxious about it because of what was going on in the world? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I want to give you a little bit of the background. So we made the decision to leave um, over Labor Day weekend in 2019 with the target date of launching on in June of 2020. So obviously, when the pandemic hits in March, it was different. I mean, it, there was, uh, you, we all remember how impactful it was, what was happening with the markets. I would be lying if I told you that we didn't pause or at least scratch our head and say, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, it's just the right thing to do. But in fairness, we really didn't pause that long. It was probably like, like a day, maybe a day and a half where we kind of said, gosh, is this, are we still doing the right thing? And then we just said, you know, we know what the core of what we wanted to do for clients was, was absolutely the correct thing for us. And so we just continued down the path and we didn't, other than that, say day to day and a half, we didn't pause much. So we launched in June and, you know, the reality is, I think it may have, I don't want to say it may have helped, but during the pandemic, people were easier to reach. They were easier to talk on the phone. It was a little bit more difficult, I would say, because you did have some people that didn't want to meet in person and understandably so. But generally, I think that transitioning during the pandemic was not a dramatic hindrance. You know, at the end of the day, clients are going to go where clients want to go and they're going to they're going to be with the advisor or the advisory team that they want to be with. And so we felt that really just didn't slow us down much. That's gratifying to hear. And our team had the honor of representing your group in their transition and in the process leading up to it. So I'm personally familiar with your due diligence journey or your process, but for the rest of the audience, can you walk us through how you thought about due diligence and what were some of the options or types of options that you looked at? Sure. I think the first thing that we had to do was to really get familiar with what the different options are, right? I mean, so there's there's all kinds of different levels of independence. Certainly, we knew that we could go leave for another wirehouse and get a big check. I mean, we were doing over $8 million, right at $9 million, I think, in revenue when we left UBS. So you know what those numbers look like and what we could have pocketed from a standpoint of a check. That was off the table really fast for us. We knew we wanted to be independent. And then it was just a matter of deciding or understanding what kind of independence we definitely looked at Raymond James. We're in St. Petersburg, Florida, which I kind of like to say is going to be the next financial or wealth management capital of the world. <laughs> Raymond James is, uh, is headquartered here. Dynasty Financial Partners has moved their headquarters here. So naturally, we talked to Raymond James, um, looked at their independent model, but we really felt like we wanted to not be beholden to anyone. And in that scenario where you're going Raymond James independence, you know, you're still really only clearing through one custodian. And whereas when you're an independent RIA, you have options. You know, we love fidelity, but we're not beholden to fidelity. So for us, it was really about being completely independent. So we looked at Raymond James. We looked at doing it on our own. Of course, there are plenty of service providers that are out there. We even did look at or talk to another independent firm that was kind of consolidating. So we could have joined a, another independent firm. But again, we just chose or decided that we wanted to be in control of our own ship. That's really why we down the road of being an independent RIA. 
Yeah, that's definitely helpful. And you selected Dynasty Financial Partners and Fidelity Investments as your lead custodian. That's after your diligence, how you opted to align. What was the appeal of those platforms? And I mean, there's a ton of really compelling options out there, not to mention the option you had of let's just do it on our own because you were big enough. Did that enter your mind? And what was the clinching moment when you decided for Dynasty and Fidelity? It did enter our mind. We did look at, you know, we could have just hired a consultant to help with the launch. And that was definitely on the table. Really from the get-go, when we met the Dynasty team and, and Cheryl Penny and their leadership group, they were very impressive. And really, I think that we felt like they offered everything that we needed. If you think about doing this and you are sitting in a, in a wirehouse, it's a lot of work. And I don't know that we would have been able to do it without some sort of help. And so Dynasty has a transition team that really did quarterback our launch from soup to nuts. So that was really attractive for us. And when I look at everything that we're getting from Dynasty, it's pretty important and pretty incredible. And to be clear now, Dynasty is a partner, right? Some of my friends in the industry have struggled or haven't understood what you know how we're affiliated with Dynasty. Obviously, they're a partner, but we're not behold back to not wanting to be beholden to anyone. You know, they're our partner, and if we decided at some point that it wasn't working, then we could exit that situation very easily. I can't see that happening. I mean, we are remarkably happy with the way things are going. And so, what Dynasty does is they provide us everything from billing for our clients and a technology stack. They provide marketing support. The list goes on and on. So think of anything that's in the middle and back office. That's the kind of stuff that they do. Now, it it did help that Dynasty moved their headquarters here in St. Petersburg. They're in our building. We see how busy they are from an M&A standpoint. They've been terrific in terms of helping us with that. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. That was really the reason for Dynasty. And then the Fidelity, the custodial choice was... um, It really came down to Fidelity and Schwab for us, and we've been thrilled with Fidelity so far, but I will tell you, I don't know if you knew this, but we are also on Schwab's platform now, too. We have run into a couple of situations where Schwab was going to be a better fit for a couple of clients. So now we're, you know, we're multi-custodian within the first 12 months of launching, which is, again, back to that whole ability to be in control and to give clients choices. It's, it's just a, a real nice position to be in. And now that you have been independent almost a year, 10 months or so, How has the relationship with Dynasty changed? Obviously, they are the driving force of the transition, kind of getting up and running. But now that you've found your feet and being a bit an independent business owner, how has your interaction changed with Dynasty? What's been their value add now and going forward? So many things I I can touch on, but I'll touch on just a couple. Social media and marketing, as an example, we're leveraging them. You know, you get, you're, you're so excited. You know, you can do so many things in the marketing space when you're independent versus being at the wirehouse. But sometimes it's like shiny object syndrome, right? You don't want to try to do everything. You've got to get honed in and you've got to have a, uh, a real plan and a process. And so we are leveraging them on the uh, social media and the marketing aspects. I think they're doing a terrific job. In fact, within launching, you know, I've had more friends say to me, boy, you, 
who'd you hire for your PR? You're really doing a, you know, they're really doing a great job because of course they knew it wasn't me. <laughs> so we've been really happy with that M&A, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, but on the M&A side, Dynasty has been extremely helpful and active. They've got a whole M&A department that I can lean on to go to, to talk through this. Does this make sense? I think we, you know, we're doing a good job, but we have a lot to learn. And so the, having the Dynasty people there, especially on the M&A side, has been terrific. And then just truly just operationally, we're working diligently to get our processes and procedures down. I think that's going really well, but it's a lot of work. And so the Dynasty folks uh, are, have been really helpful on that side of things as well. And thinking back to the day and the days after you left, if clients asked you, Matt, why should I come with you? UBS is a, is a great firm. I have all these advisors calling me and maybe even offering me free fees. Why would I come with you? Well, what did that pitch sound like? Well, you're going to be shocked to hear this. We really didn't get a lot of flack or feedback from clients saying they didn't want to come with us. Almost to, I don't want to say everyone, but I would say 90% of our clients, when we called and explained it to them, they were like, great, where are we going? What are we doing? How's it going to work? Our clients, I think, are there with us. They're with the advisor. They were never with UBS. Um, it was the same when I was at Merrill Lynch. I don't think they were ever really there because of Merrill Lynch. But for the ones that did, you know, I'll, I'll call it 10% who really wanted to dig in and wait, you're opening your own company named Cindio. I've never heard of Cindio. What does that mean? By the way, I have to tell you this. Cindio is the Greek word for connect. <laughs> so, so many people have asked me what Cindio means. So when we had that conversation, though, when clients did bring it up, one of the big comforting things for them was that when we brought up the name Fidelity, Fidelity has a very high trust factor. A lot of our clients through the years have had their 401k with Fidelity through their employer. And so when we explained they would still have us and we would be the driving force on the advice side, but their assets would be at Fidelity and they would still have the same protections and the same compliance type oversight, I think it just made them very comfortable. I do think that advisors get awfully caught up in that name behind them. And the reality is most clients are where they're at because they want to be with you, the advisor. And what we said all along before we were launching was that at the end of the day, they're going to have to choose. Do they want a UBS credit card and checking account or do they want to be with Matt or Pete or Tommy or you know, whoever? So it really wasn't that big of a deal, but I can see why advisors feel like it's going to be before they make this leap. I think we'd see it the same way too. But ultimately, the advisor has to be confident and comfortable enough in that conviction that the brand doesn't matter as much. But it is nice to be able to leverage Fidelity, Schwab, BNY Mellon, eventually Goldman Sachs as kind of the backup to your story. Thanks for sharing that. So obviously, moving in 2020 from UBS, it was a non-broker protocol move. Did this make the move scarier for you? And what was your strategy, your kind of way to still have a really successful transition, but obviously still follow the non-protocol status in your employment contract to a T? Because I had done a protocol move when we moved from Merrill Lynch to UBS, I knew what a protocol move looked like. When you start talking about a non-protocol move, it does make it slightly more onerous. I don't want to say more difficult because the client's decision is the client's decision, right? You know, they're going to eventually make the call. 
but it did make it where there was just a little bit more work and there was a little bit more of reaccumulating the data and the information. The first day that we launched on a, you know, on a Friday and we had interns galore here and, and assistants helping before we made a phone call. We did a people search online through public records to acknowledge or, or download and get their phone numbers. So even though every advisor probably has every one of their clients in their cell phone today, we couldn't use that information until we confirmed it through a public data source. And so we did that. And, and essentially, we had almost like an assembly line where the, the interns would download the information for a client and could bring it into the advisor. They'd hand it to them and then the advisor knew they were clear to go ahead and make the phone call. So it does make it to where there's a little bit more work, a little bit more data accumulation, you know, re-getting back all the information for the client. So I can't say non-protocol is not more difficult, but I don't think it, you know, it didn't hinder us. I mean, I, let's face it, we brought over, I'd say 98% of the clients. And as I said to you before, we launched with uh, 1.2 billion and we're almost at 1.3 billion now. So it wasn't that troublesome. 98% is a great percentage. I think most advisors would probably leave tomorrow if they knew with certainty that 98% of the book would come. So that's a testament to your relationships and likely how prepared you were for the move as well. Let's pivot to the vision and the reasons you had gone independent in the first place. So now with about 10 months of hindsight, what are the three things that you now realize you can do differently for clients that either you didn't think were possible when you're at UBS or maybe they were part of your, your dream for the firm. And now that you're independent, you're able to offer these services or just do something differently. Sure. I think the biggest piece, and I, I can't emphasize this enough, the biggest piece for us was just being able to be a true fiduciary. And when I say that, think back to when you're at a wirehouse and you're trying to do a full financial planning and really dig in and, and give clients the best overall advice on everything that they have going on in their financial world. I think we did a good job or as good a job as we could when we were in the wirehouse setting, but we can just do so much better when we're independent. And one of the examples that I like to use is for years, I've had clients who would send me their 401k on a quarterly basis and say, hey, what should I do here? How should I have this allocated? And they'd send over the options. Well, as you know, the wirehouses consider that selling away. If I, if I can't advise in, in, in a lot of cases for many clients, that's that they have. That's a big thing. We can sit down and talk to clients and, and help them make sure that their 401k in sync with everything else that we're doing. That's a really big deal, but it's not just that. It's also being able to look at other investments that weren't being custodied with us, right? So when if an asset's not going to be custodied at, at a wirehouse, technically the advisor really shouldn't be advising on it. And again, back to some of our fears about other advisors who have been walked out the door, that kind of scared us. So today, if we have a client that comes to us with a, you know, whether it's a private equity deal or someone that wants to put together a private deal to loan someone money, whatever it is, we can sit down with the client on the same side of the table and look at it and act as a true fiduciary. That's incredibly powerful. And we see this a lot in the athlete space. For better or worse, athletes get hit up for money, for private equity money, or just open a restaurant, do so many different things. We can sit down with the athlete and talk about it and figure out whether it makes sense or not whether it fits into their plan. 
we really couldn't do that at the wirehouse without potentially getting into trouble. I'll give you another example that we have seen in the last 12 months, and I want to be clear, this is not an endorsement by Matt or by Cindio of cryptocurrency, but we can have that conversation. As I understand it now, if you're at a wirehouse, you can't buy an ETF that represents Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of those. We can here if the client really wants to have some exposure. We have a third-party SMA that's available if someone truly actually just wants to own Bitcoin. And again, that doesn't fit for a lot of clients. And maybe I'd go as far as maybe even saying all most clients. But the fact that we can have the conversation and the fact that we have an outlet for it is just another example of how when you're independent, you just have the ability to look at the whole picture and help clients with the things that they want to be helped with. Absolutely. And how about on the growth side? Um, so you're up about 100 million since you even transitioned, which is just remarkable. But as you look forward, how do you think your independence has helped you grow? And how do you think it's going to help you grow? Let's, let's talk about it organically first, differently than you would have if you stayed put. Lewis, on an organic basis, it has been exciting for us from a standpoint of the number of people in town or in the Tampa Bay area that have reached out that we've known for a long time. I think each of the advisors here at the firm have received phone calls and in a lot of cases have opened new relationships with people who own their own business. You know, they just really respect the fact that you've gone out on your own and you now own your own business. So organically, we've seen existing clients move more money over. They get more comfortable when they don't feel like you're beholden to one place that's generating products and services. So that's been really helpful. Another way that I think that we have really seen organic growth and interest has been through the marketing. Social media has been really helpful. It was pretty quick when everybody saw what we were doing. And so you start getting a lot of phone calls and it's just really piqued the interest you know, of a lot of people on an organic basis. That growth has been strong and all of the growth that we've had since we launched is organic. We have not done an M&A transaction at all. And then I guess the other area, you know, one of the fastest growing segments of Cyndia right now is our sports and entertainment division. And the things that we're able to do in that group for that segment of clients has really been recognized. And it's amazing the difference from a standpoint of whether it's agents or CPAs or attorneys, the trust that they have when you own your own business versus being at a wirehouse. And I know for a lot of advisors, they really don't get that. They almost feel the other way around. They feel like they're stronger because they're attached to this big behemoth. And what we're finding is it's really the exact opposite. People are more interested because they know you own it. You know, they know that you're completely vested. If you're like them and you own your own business, you're probably thinking about your business 24-7. And that's that could not be more accurate. That's a really, really interesting angle. I don't think I've heard that before. And how about on the um, the athlete side? So you said that's a one of the faster growing parts of Cindio. Do you think you could have grown a practice like that? from a capability standpoint within UBS? No, no chance, no chance. Yeah, Nate Johnson and Adam Hess are doing a terrific job from a standpoint of growing that business. I, they're up to, I think, 45 or 50 professional athletes, mostly NFL and NBA players. And the ability to grow that, the ways in which you can 
be creative and work with them and do the things that they need to do in a warehouse setting. So that piece of the growth, I think, has been attributed to obviously to Nate and Adam, but also to the fact that we're independent at this point. How about life now as Matt Kilgrow, the CEO, versus Matt Kilgrow, the team leader? Do you now spend a lot more of your free time working? And are you spending less time with clients? Or what's been that dynamic like? I'm doing some extra lifting with regards to being CEO. One of the things that I have tried to stay very focused on is that I don't I don't stop spending time with clients and I don't have any less contact or less meetings with clients. Obviously, COVID has changed a little bit of that, although we're starting to be a little bit more free and open and easy. But there's definitely a learning curve and I'm enjoying it. I mean, I guess I have to admit that I'm in the latter half of my career at this point, having been doing it for 30 years. I don't know that I've ever been as excited. I don't know that I've ever been as energized as I am right now. And so, yes, CEO responsibilities and dealing with everything that is, you know, running a company, it is different. It's definitely not the same as being a team leader within an organization like Merrill Lynch or UBS. I can't even tell you how excited and how fun it is for me personally. I'll always be an advisor at heart and I will always have clients and spend time with them. We're so blessed to have I think the best clients in the world. It's just so fun to spend time with them. So I still stay very focused on doing that. Excellent. And how about some of the downsides of independence? Are there things that you either missed from your wirehouse days or capabilities that you weren't able to replicate? Boy, I have to really think about that, Louis. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, the only thing that I would say is that in the independent space, you have to learn how to know what to focus on. I mentioned shiny object syndrome earlier, I think. There's so many opportunities. There's so many things that you can do. And I think the biggest thing for us at this point is saying no, learning what to say no to. When you're on the wirehouse side, they say no to you all the time. So you don't, you don't have to you don't have to have that. I think that's probably the biggest thing. We're still learning how to do that and learning what to focus on and learning what to let go. There's not a whole lot of negatives from the standpoint of independence versus wirehouse from our vantage point right now. How about mergers and acquisitions and inorganic growth? I know from working with you, that was one of the major drivers. And you've had a, I think, a pretty unique vision for why Cindio is well positioned for that. How are you thinking about inorganic growth as a strategy? And what's your pitch to advisors? You kind of have to know a little bit of our background from a standpoint of how we've gotten here. Over the years, we have had many partners be with us and then retire. And that was in the wirehouse setting. So we've actually had four different advisors be with us as part of the team and then retire along the way. And all of those transitions were successful and have attributed towards building what we run now at Cindio. And so we feel like while we're new, obviously, to the independent space, we're not new to M&A. We've been doing this for a lot of years. And so we don't need to do M&A. I mean, we have a very successful business. We're growing organically. But for the right situation and the right advisor or the right advisory team, we think that we can be a terrific fit. One, we have a track record of having done it. And two, we think we're building something really special here at Cindio. 
the types of situations that we are looking at and looking for. Obviously, there is the more senior advisor, maybe the late 50s to early 60s, who is maybe not enthralled by the retire in place programs at the wirehouses. We certainly can present a very good package and a very good retirement plan and a good transition situation. And right now, it's just amazing how many conversations and how many situations we're in discussions with. And so we've got a handful in that category. But we've also got people that are in the prime of their career who aren't looking to retire, but are looking for a place to grow. Maybe they don't have the scale or the desire to build and launch their own firm. If the culture fits, we're looking for, and again, are in conversations with a number of advisors and advisory teams in that category. So our pitch is really that we have both the financial backing and the operational backing of a partner like Dynasty Financial Partners. They've just been tremendous. We've got a deep bench here. I'm I'm really proud of the fact that we're multi-generational from an advisory standpoint. Our oldest advisor is in his late 50s and our youngest is 33. We run the gamut there. So we feel like we've got a deep bench and a lot to offer to anyone looking to make a change. And and there's so many options out there right now, Lewis. I know you know this, but there's so many options. And I think we're not for everybody, but certainly we can be a good home for a number of folks. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And where does Cindio go from here? We have this conversation next year or three years from now. What does the business look like? I think a lot of that depends on the people that we meet, the ones that we run into who are looking to join us. One of the things that we've always done you know, within our team when we were at the wirehouses, and I think we're doing it to some extent now, is you find great people first and then you figure out how to work them in. Where Cindio goes from here, I think we can grow. I think we can grow this thing dramatically, but it's going to be about who we meet, both organically and inorganically. I hesitate to put numbers on it. You know, we want to pay a $10 billion firm or a $5 billion firm. I think both of those are possible, but it's going to be finding great people first and then working out the process and the details from there. How about any parting words of advice? This is always our final question. So speaking to either a wirehouse or minority independent advisor, who's thinking of making a transition, what would you say to them? I'm 55, Lewis. I wish I was 45. Everybody probably say that, right? I mean, you always wish you're 10 years younger, but I wish I had done this at 45. I wish I had done it at 40. Because there's so much fun to be had when you're out from underneath that umbrella. To people who are out there thinking about it or looking at it, I would just say, while it might not be for everyone, There is a place for everyone who is no longer happy in a wirehouse setting. And again, that's not for everybody. Some people, it will make sense for them to stay in a wirehouse and just retire there. But if you're contemplating this, my advice would be dig in, understand the differences, understand the variations of independence, understand that there are some very competent and very cool places that you could join at existing RIAs. Dynasty has, I think, 40 partners across their spectrum, and I think a good number of them are looking to do M&A. We certainly are, but it's either that or you look to launch your own firm. There's just so many options out there. My main message would be do it. (laughs) Just, Just dig in and do it, and the younger you are, the better. That's for sure. 
Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your journey. We will actually come back to you in a year and three years and hopefully get an update and hear how you guys are still crushing it. I appreciate it, Lewis, and appreciate everything you've done for us. As you know, we're big fans of the show and uh, wish you and Mindy all the best. Thank you. As Matt shared, when you go independent, suddenly you're able to look at the whole picture. And for Cindio, that was a key motivation, the ability to shop the street and beyond and provide any and all services their clients needed. I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached by cell at 973-476-8578 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And if you're listening on the Apple Podcasts app, I'd be grateful if you gave it a store rating and a review. That will let other advisors know that it's a show worth listening to. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.